it was someone, one person described it as a polar vortex, which I have no idea what that is. I wonder if Andy Rise, oh, Andy Rise teaching kids today. He's a, he, he'd probably know, but sounds pretty serious to me. Uh, pretty chilly out there, so I'm glad to see some of you brave the weather to come and join us for worship today, and I trust that God has and will continue to bless you. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 or uh, follow along in the uh, bulletin. Um, I'll read the passage here in just a minute, but just to kind of set, set the stage a, a bit of what we're going to talk about today. Um, in, the, in the upcoming weeks, the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a series here. Reed will start next week on, on, the, uh, on the church. And uh, just, just to bring some clarity, and I trust God has, I, I believe God has some, some great things to teach us about what the church is for, our part in it, how we can... Um, how we can, in a really robust and dynamic way, be, be part of the church and, and serve God's purposes in the world. I've never probably been as excited heading into a new year as I am this year, uh, both personally as well as just, just for our body as a church, uh, what, what I believe God wants to do and, uh, in us and through us. Um, so I'm excited about that. This morning what I want to do is I want to talk about vision, I want to talk about vision. Vision is really important, uh, both personally and any organization you're part of. Having, having a vision is really important. Um, Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, Without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. That's the first part of the verse. Without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Literally, it, it means that people get discouraged. Uh, another, other translations, I think the New American Standard Bible says, the people perish. So without a vision, without a prophetic vision, which is, it's, not just getting, it's not just putting goals down on a piece of paper, but a prophetic vision from God, uh, we ca- people cast off restraint. There's just a sense of what, what are we really doing here? We're, we're just kind of meandering, not really ha- living with a sense of purpose. Uh, people get discouraged. People perish is another way to put it. So I want to talk about vision this morning, but not maybe not quite uh, the same way that you might you might be thinking about vision. I don't really I don't really want to lay out specific things like, hey, here's what God wants to do this next year. Here's some specific things. Here's some. I had a dream last night, and here's what God told me. Here's what we're going to do this next year. Not really like that. Proverbs twenty nine again, verse eighteen says, "Without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint." The last part of the verse says, "But blessed is he." Who keeps your law? So the vision we're talking about is not something we can just come up with on our own, but it's something God gives us. The church is God's church. I mean, I understand we might call this our church, and in a sense it is, but ultimately it's God's church. And it's more important that we know his vision than that we try to come up with something ourselves. It's more important that we, that we go back to the standard, God's vision for, for his church, and for real life church, then, then coming up with something novel. So I don't have anything novel for you today, but I believe it's something from God. I believe it's something from God's word. Um, but having a vision, it, it helps us in a number of ways. It helps to clarify what's important to God. It helps to give us a sense. When we, when we see what God says in his word and his vision for us as a church, and, for, and also it trickles down to us individually, it helps us to see what's important to God. Uh, I, I need that because sometimes I, I value things and elevate things that really aren't as important to God as I may think that they are or as I may think they should be 
or as they are, or as, as important as they are to me. So it helps us to, to see what's important, what, what is important to God. Number two, it can also help discern our alignment with what's important to God. So when we see what God's vision is for our church, for, and I, I say our church, I, really, I believe it's for the church, but I'm just talking to, to our church today. So when I, when I say this is what God's vision is for us, it helps us to discern whether or not we are in alignment with that. <clears throat> it helps me discern that as a, as a pastor, and it helps you discern that as, as part of this church, whether or not we are in alignment with God's vision. Uh, another thing is it, can, it gives us our marching orders. Is what are we to be about? What is our purpose? What are we to give ourselves to very deliberately, say this next year? It's at the very beginning of 2014. What are we to give ourselves to this next year? And finally, it helps us to prioritize what we do and how we do it. So we are called to ministry. We are called to serve. There are a lot of things we could do, but it helps us to prioritize what we should be doing. What we should be doing, it helps us to get, just have a sense of priority, what we should be doing, and how we do it. So, um, if you have your Bibles open, follow along. I want to read a few verses out of Acts chapter 2. Um, you, you may have heard these verses before, but I want to draw some things out of this passage and give us a sense, I believe, you know, of God's vision for us as a church and as, as we look at this, I intend to be general. I, I intend to, to be pretty general as I point some things out. But this will help bring clarity to what we do and how we do it and help us to unpack this in the weeks to come. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 says this. Uh, let, me, let me back up just a second. So the, the, uh, this is the day of Pentecost, or this is after the day of Pentecost, where Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people respond to the gospel and are, are saved, they believe, and they're baptized. And it says this in, in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray real quick. Father, this is your word. Um, we want to be like, uh, like Samuel, who was told by Eli, say this to the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, we want to listen to what you have to say to us today. God, I pray that you'd speak loudly, you'd speak powerfully, you'd speak profoundly to us today. Um, <clears throat> God, that you give us a sense of vision individually. God, what, what do you have for us? And then as part of this church, that we are part of this community of believers and we are to live with a sense of purpose and a sense of vision, not casting off restraint, not discouraged, not in a way that it's almost like we're perishing, but with a prophetic vision. So God, give it to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea I want, to, I want you to leave with this morning is this, okay? God's blessing is all over the church that is committed to God's vision. Let me say that again. God's blessing is all over the church that is committed to God's vision. And right off the bat, we see in this passage 
that we have a group of people, a large group of people, but a group of people that are devoted. They are devout people. The word being, the, the word devout is kind of almost a curse word in our, in our culture because it, it kind of conjures up ideas of boring, um, just holier than thou kind of people. But these people were devout. They were devoted. They were a community of people devoted together. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves. The NASB says they continually devoted themselves. So it's this idea that these people together as this group, as this community, were devoted people. Which means that they were strongly attentive to, they were faithful, they were committed to something. And they did this together. It wasn't like there was a a committed person or a small group of committed people. You get the idea that largely these were devoted, committed people. There was a corporate devotion. There was a culture, you might say, of devotion. But it was no generic devotion. It wasn't just devotion per se, but it was devotion to specific things. And that's what I want to look at here for the next little while about God's vision that we see in this passage. It's of devoted people being devoted to what God is devoted to, to being devoted to God's vision. So I want to, I have five things this morning, okay? Five things that I believe we pull out of this passage and we see God's vision for us. The first thing is this. We are called to be devoted to the Bible. We as a church are called to be devoted to the scriptures. So I'd put it this way. Real life church, God's vision for you is that you would be devoted to the Bible. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. The first thing it says is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostolic authority of the apostles and their teaching. In the Old Testament, we had prophets who spoke the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, as we're reading here in the book of Acts, as the New Testament was being written, you had the apostles who were speaking apostolically and authoritatively for God. Now, we have the authority of the written words of God in the Bible. And we are called to be devoted to the Bible. So God's vision is that we would be a people committed to, devoted to, the Bible in such a way that the Bible begins to transform our hearts and our lives begin to conform to the scriptures. So it's not being committed to the Bible as some kind of proof text to help show us that we're actually doing okay, but it's actually opening up God's word as God's divine revelation to us of himself, of ourselves, of our need for Christ and of what he expects from us. The Bible is to serve as our divine authority of what we're to believe and how we're to live. It's not just a religious book. It is a book for our life. It's not just a stuffy book with lots of words in it that's kind of confusing. It is God revealing himself to us. It's God speaking to us. And the the Bible itself is perfectly clear that those who devote themselves to the scriptures, and I would say the church that devotes themselves to the Bible, are deeply blessed. You might say, how are they blessed? How are we going to be blessed if we devote ourselves to the Bible? What's the payoff? 
Well, I got a few ways that we will be blessed. I'll mention just three quickly. First, we'll be blessed in our faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Now faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and faith is increased by hearing, and hearing by the word, actually the word of Christ. So as we open up the scriptures, and as we give ourselves, and are attentive to, and are devoted to, and we say, God, speak to me, our faith is increased. Our faith is strengthened. We, fi- we find faith on the rise. Another way that we are blessed is our joy is increased. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about this book being a book of joy? I wonder how many people here see this as a book of joy. That's meant to lead you into a life of joy. It's meant to cause joy to abound and flourish in your life. Do you see this book as that? A book of joy? Here's what Jesus said. John 15 verse 11. He says, I say these things to you. I think we could take it a little further than say everything God says to us. He says to us so that his joy may be in us and our joy may be full. When we devote ourselves to God's word, we're not just kind of devoted to it, but we are wholeheartedly devoted to it and to what it says and to studying it and meditating on it and getting it, in, getting it into us. Or as Jeremiah says, I found your word and I devoured it. Then we find that it, is, it produces incredible joy. The very joy of God comes into us and our joy is made full. And the thir- a third way that we're blessed is in conformity. We become more like Christ. We become more like Christ when we are devoted to the scriptures, when we're devoted to the Bible. Think about it. These are God's very words to us. Don't think for a second that you need to be some kind of commentator, theologian, or need to have a PhD, or need to go to Bible school to get anything out of this. When we open up the scriptures, God speaks to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all the scriptures are breathed out by God, and they're profitable in all things for those who devote themselves to it. So we are more conformed to Christ. We become more and more like Jesus as we devote ourselves to the Bible. This is one of the primary means that God uses to sanctify us and change us. Jesus puts it this way in a prayer in John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. I love this prayer because, I mean, Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying not only for his disciples that were with him at that time, but he says, I not only pray for these guys, but I also pray for everyone who believes because of their word. And he prays this, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God sanctifies us and changes us. And we become more conformed to the image of Christ as we devote ourselves to the Bible. I think of the Bible, I think of the scriptures and devoting ourselves to it and getting it into us as like putting kindling on a fire. You got these embers in a fireplace 
and you know, if you put a big log on it, it's gonna, you know, it's not gonna catch fire. You put these little, little pieces of kindling on the fire to stoke the embers, and all of a sudden, this kindling st- starts on fire, and you have a fire. That's what the scriptures are to us. They are kindling for our souls. They increase our faith. They are a means of joy. And as we devote ourselves to the Bible, we become more and more like Christ because we see him, because we're exposed to God. We see him as he is. The Bible helps us, you guys. I mean, if we just, if we are mainly turning inward to get our ideas about God, they'll be foggy. They'll be overly subjective. We need to be exposed to who God is clearly, the clarity of Scripture to see this is what God is like. I remember one time hearing John Piper say, the Bible helps us to see that God has contours. He is like this and he's not like this. And so as we are exposed to God through the Bible, we see what he's like and we become more like him. So devote yourself to the Bible I'd encourage you just at the beginning of the year, this is a great time of the year. I know some, some and I, I used to be kind of against New Year's resolutions until I saw that the Bible actually um, encourages resolutions. Uh, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter one says, um, or I think it's chapter one, uh, Paul says, may God fulfill every resolve for good, Right? So every resolution for good, every, every godly resolution, may God fulfill it. So I think it's a good time of the year for making resolves. And so what, do you, so what do we do? You know, get a scripture reading plan if you need one, if that helps you, just to be committed. On this day, I'm going to read this passage or these three passages. Get a scripture reading plan. You know, one thing that has really helped our family is this monthly uh, memorization passage that we do as a church. I mean, it's been a wonderful thing. I mean, we just, in the last two months, we started doing that. I mean, all we do, this is all, this is all that we do is we, we quote it around the dinner table. That's what we do. But by the end of the month, every, everyone in our family, with the exception of Silas, knows that, ver- knows that passage pretty darn well. Now, you might have a better idea. That's great. That's what we do, though. But get the scriptures in you. Devote yourself to the Bible, the Reformation, during the Protestant Reformation, one of the battle cries was uh, this phrase, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Let us be continually going to the scriptures, seeing the Bible as our authority of what we're to believe and how we are to live. And let one of our sayings for this upcoming year be this, what does the Bible say? When we're talking to somebody about a situation or when we're, when we're seeking to get God's mind on a matter, let's not turn inward and see what we think God may say. Let's turn outward. Let's open up the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? When we are watching television and we're just absorbing the culture at large around us, let's know what the Bible says so that we have a biblical worldview and we can, we can have things that, that we're exposed to go through this grid that we have of the Bible. So, Real Life Church, devote yourself to the Bible. It's God's vision for us is that we'd be a church devoted to the Bible. Second, God's vision for you, Real Life Church, is that you would be devoted to one another. That you'd be devoted to one another. Not some loose and abstract love for people, but that you would be devoted to one another. That you would be committed to one another. 
The verse or the, the word I get out of our passage this morning is they were they devoted themselves, it says in verse forty two, to the fellowship. To the fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek word is koinonia. Maybe you've heard that before. It talks about it's it's this togetherness that we are committed to one another. Most literally it means sharing life together. Sharing life together. In fact, I was tempted to say God's vision for you is that you would share life together. But I just let's be devoted to one another, to doing life together, to sharing life together. The early church was radically devoted to this. They were devoted to fellowship, to community, to sharing life with each other. We see rather explicit ways, and quite frankly, ways that almost make us a little uncomfortable in this passage. We're not really sure exactly what to do with some of the things that we read here. But suffice it to say, they were radically devoted to each other. Look at what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It says in verse 44, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were together. So they were together a lot. And they had all things in common. I don't know that that means that, you know, that they just put everything in a pool and it's like, hey, take your pick and grab something. But if you had a need... If one had a need, someone else was there to meet it. Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. There was this radical togetherness. When there was a need, it was met. They were together a lot. They ate together. They broke, that's what I think it means when it says from house to house, they broke bread. They worshiped t- together. They prayed together. They were radically together. They shared life together. You know, in our culture, right, and, and I, I, I find this um, quite I- ironic. In our culture today, people have never been more connected to more people, right? I mean, you, you have thousands of friends on Facebook or hundreds maybe. Um, I'm, I'm probably not as connected as you guys. I only have a couple hundred. But anyways, so you have hundreds of friends on Facebook. You have Twitter. You have texting. You, ha- you can Skype someone across the world. You can call anyone at any time, day or night. In uh, and, and, and ways that 200 years ago, they would have never dreamed of. We are connected in such, a, in, in such an amazing way. And yet, people are so isolated in their hearts. I mean, honestly, people are so isolated in their hearts from genuine, deep relationship and sharing life with each other. People have never been more connected. They've never had more friends, right? And yet they've never been more, perhaps, I I might be overstating this, but perhaps they've never been more disconnected and isolated in the depth of their soul from real, genuine, Christian, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered Fellowship, koinonia fellowship, sharing of life together. The New Testament uses this phrase over and over again, one another. That's why I use that. Be committed, be devoted to one another. Over and over again, we see this phrase, do things with and for one another. I'm going to give you some examples. 2 Corinthians 13 says this, comfort one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Galatians 5.13 says, through love, serve one another. There's this togetherness. There's this sharing of life. Serve one another. 
Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, forgiving one another. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another. How can you do this if you're not with one another? If you're not really sharing life with each other, submit to one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another. So open up your homes to one another. Open up your refrigerators to one another. 1 John in many places, many, many, many places says, love one another. So what do we do? How do we devote ourselves to this? Well, we deliberately decide to open up our homes to one another. To open up our homes to one another. Our time, our calendars. I'm just going to, I'm devoted this next year to opening up my calendar to one another, to each other, to you. We open up our pocketbooks to one another. Our money. We open up our refrigerators to one another. Meaning, we feed people. We invite people into our homes for dinner, to break bread together, and to do it joyfully. We open up our energy. We give of our energy, our, even our emotions, to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to get outside of ourselves and, and give our emotions to one another and our affections to one another. We give our gifts to one another. What I mean by that is talents, the gifts that God has given us to one another. It's not for ourselves. It's for one another. It's for the church. We open up our very lives to one another. Radically. The New Testament church, I mean, this is just, we read through this, and this was what they did, and they didn't do it because they had to. They did it for joy and because they wanted to. So, real life church, devote yourself to one another. Next, it says, we see that God's vision for the church, for real life church, is that we would be devoted to breaking bread. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the, to the breaking of bread. I think, I think that means that they, they participate in the Lord's Supper together. They would get together often. They would gather around, figuratively speaking, the Lord's table and partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to be doing that a little bit later, so I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going to not comment on that anymore because Ryan's going to lead us in that a little bit later. But they broke bread together. They participated in the Lord's Supper together. They did communion together. Uh, the, the, the Catholic Church calls it the Eucharist, they, which means the thanksgiving. They would gather around the Lord's table with thanksgiving in their hearts for what Christ had done on their behalf. Next, God's vision for us as a church is that we would be devoted to prayer. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The early church was fueled by prayer. They were fueled by prayer. Preceding any, I shouldn't say any, most that I can think of off the top of my head, monumental moments in the church, in the book of Acts, they were praying. In Acts chapter 2, in, excuse me, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, what were they doing? before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together in one accord, praying. They were together praying. In Acts chapter 4, 
after Peter and John are let go from the Sanhedrin and warned not to preach Christ anymore, what do they do? They went back and they prayed together. In one accord, they lifted up their voices to God, it says. And as they prayed, the spirit fell on them, the place shook, and they went out continuing to speak with boldness. In Acts chapter 13, I believe it's chapter 13, when, when Paul, who was at that time Saul uh, and Barnabas, before they were sent out on their missionary journeys, what were they doing? It says they were fasting and worshiping and ministering to God and praying. And before Saul and Barnabas were sent out, they laid hands on them and prayed. Why? Why were they doing this? A guy named A.C. Dixon, I think, gets it right. And the early church had this mindset. Here's why, here's why they did this. When we trust, here's what A.C. Dixon said. When we depend on organization, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. When we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. When we depend upon prayer, we are, gonna, we, are, we are getting what God can do. John Piper said, prayer is like us holding up our limp wire to the lightning rod of heaven. I mean, all we have is a little limp wire, right? I mean, there's nothing great. I mean, there's nothing powerful about us. But we hold up our limp wire and, 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 it, and it attaches itself or touches the lightning rod of heaven. When we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. So if, Bible, if, if reading the Bible or being devoted to the Bible, not, not just reading it, but being devoted to it is like kindling for our faith, then prayer is like adding fuel to the fire. Are you devoted to praying? Are you devoted to praying for one another? Are you devoted to praying for the church? Are you devoted to praying for God's purpose to be fulfilled in the church? Well, here's some things you can do. We have a monthly prayer meeting. I'd encourage you to be devoted to that. Come as often as you can. Uh, Ken mentioned earlier, we have, and Matt did as well, we have, uh, we have a prayer list on our bulletin. Commit to praying for the people on that list day after day after day. And then when you see them, say, how you doing? I've been praying for you. I see you on the list. How you doing now? We should commit to praying for one another. I'd ask you to pray for me. Read would probably ask you to pray for him too. Pray for us as we are preparing to preach a message on Sunday. I heard, I heard somebody one time say, if you pray, he was, he was saying this to his congregation. He was saying, if you pray me full, I'll preach you full. All right? So how do you like that? If you pray me full, I, I'll preach you full. That's my, that's my desire week after week after week is to preach you full. Pray me full and I'll preach you full. So pray for one another. Be devoted to prayer. Now, the Bible talks about praying uh, without ceasing, right? Praying as you're walking, praying as you're running, praying as you're driving, praying as you're laying in bed, you know, just praying as you're working at the computer. All of that we should do. That's important. But I think there's something else in mind in this passage. And I think we ought to be devoted to times where we are setting aside other things, are running, are walking, are driving, our you know, uh, working at a computer and getting on our knees or getting together and crying out to God together. 
So, real life church, devote yourself to prayer. I have two more points I want to touch on. And I think these are not so much things that we are called to devote ourselves to, although I, I, I think we can devote ourselves to it, but it's more a result of the prior things I've talked about. Real life church, brothers and sisters, God's vision for you is that you'd be a church full of awesome, joy-filled worship. Awesome, joy-filled worship. Now, I, I need to explain awesome for a second, okay? What I don't mean is, man, that was so cool. I don't mean kind of the, the way that awesome is, is, is used, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s or the way that it's used now. But I mean awe-inspired. I mean worship that, that has us in awe of God and joy-filled, this kind of worship. It says in verse um, 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul. God was working in their midst. The Holy Spirit was doing such dynamic things in their midst. God was there present among them that they were full of awe. Now, that's not really something we can just conjure up and say, okay, we're just going to be full of awe now. But that is God's vision for us, is that our worship would be both awe-inspiring and full of joy and joy-filled worship. It says that they had glad hearts. In verse 47, it says they were praising God. All these things I take, I'm just going to group these things together and say our worship should be, and God wants it to be, God's vision for us is that our worship would be awesome, like awesome, like that was awesome. God is awesome. We sing that song, my God is awesome. He can move mountains. Not like my God is awesome, he is cool, but my God is awesome, he can move mountains. He is big and mighty and powerful and holy and righteous. And when this God is here and we know it, it produces awe. Amen? Are you with me? And our worship should be full of joy. Now, I believe that this is more a result of being a body of believers, having a culture of devotion to the scriptures, a devotion to one another, and a devotion to prayer. And that is just a dangerous, in a good way, combination for God to come and visit a group of people. And finally, God's vision for you, Real Life Church, is that his work among you would be so powerful that it would be contagious. Excuse me, it'd be, let me back up. God's vision for you is that his work among you would be like a contagious fire that spreads. God's vision for you is that his work among you would be like a contagious fire that spreads. And don't we all want that personally? Don't we all want, I mean, just God to be working in our lives in such a powerful way that it's just... It's contagious. I mean, I just, I rub shoulders with people and, and they just sense something different. I look different than just the average Joe on the street. I, I, I act different. I have a hope. I have a joy. I have a life that, that comes through Christ, that he's put, he's put there. That's God's vision for us as a church as well. It says in our last verse, the very last phrase, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day 
those who are being saved. Says the Lord added to their number. It says that God was the one adding to their number. I don't think that means that they weren't actively sharing their faith with people and people weren't getting saved because believers were sharing their faith. But I think it's more a result of what we saw before. People who are engaged and committed to God's word. And they're committed to each other. And they're committed to prayer and calling down God's power from heaven. And God powerfully works through them. And numbers are added to them day by day. God wants his work among us to be like a contagious fire that spreads. I believe this is God's vision for us. But if I left it here, I think the message would be incomplete. Because if I left it here, all I've said is, do this, do this, do this. This is God's vision, so therefore do this, do this, do this, and do this. And some may feel like, I don't have, I, I, don't, I don't feel devoted to the Bible. And I don't feel as devoted as you're talking about to one another. And I don't feel devoted to prayer, right? I don't feel it. I, I, I mean, I hear you. I see that that's probably what I should be doing, but I don't feel that. So what should I do? Well, I want to end by just giving two quick encouragements. And, and it has to do with this. What is the church? What is it that we're part of? And how did you get here? What is it that you're part of? And how did you get here? Being part of the church is not like being part of some stale organization that, you know, you just kind of join this club or something, right? And... <laughs> Your foot's kind of always half in and half out. Not because like, not you're ready to leave at any time, but you're just not really, you're not interested in being overly committed. What you have become part of is the family of the God of the universe. I mean, what you've, been, what you, what you've come into, what you've been brought into is the family of Almighty God who made heaven and earth. Paul says to Timothy, he calls the church the household of God. And that's what you've been brought into is the household of God. Planned by God. The church is God's plan. Bought by the blood of Jesus, his son. United in the spirit and given a glorious purpose to take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But second, and this is, I think, probably more relevant or prevalent How did you get here? How did you become part of this thing called the church? And I want to go back to verse 47. It says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I was thinking about this last night, and and the thought occurred to me that many people, their participation in the church, or or them being a, a Christian them being part of the church, they see themselves more like a taxpayer. You know, they pay their taxes and they have certain rights, right? I paid my dues. I paid my taxes. Now I have my rights that are reserved for me. And therefore, there's a limit to what God can ask of us in that taxpayer mentality, right? I'm a taxpayer. I got rights. Don't tell me to be overly committed. I'm a taxpayer, but we're not taxpayers in God's 
church. We're not taxpayers in God's family. We're not taxpayers in God's universe. We're not taxpayers in God's economy. We are recipients of grace, sheer grace. We don't pay taxes. We receive a free gift. We don't pay taxes. We receive God's totally undeserved, incredibly beautiful and amazing grace. And sometimes we just need to be reminded and brought back to how did we get here? Did I just, let me ask you this question. How did you become a believer? You might say, well, I believe the gospel. Why did you believe and not your neighbor or your sister or brother or somebody else? You might say, well, I guess I just humbled myself and they didn't. Well, why did you humble yourself and they didn't? You see where I'm going with this, don't you? I mean, eventually you get to the point, did you, did you get here? Did you become a believer? Are you part of the church because you're smarter than those who don't believe? Hopefully you'd say no. Is it because you're more righteous? No. Is it because you're better? No. Is it because you're, you know, because, you, because you're more humble than they are? No. Ultimately, you're here by God's sheer, undeserved, glorious amazing grace. You are not a taxpayer. You are not a taxpayer with rights. I heard somebody one time say that if I am truly saved by sheer grace, then there is no limit to what God can require of me. Think about that for a second. That's totally different from taxpayer mentality, right? Taxpayer, I got rights. I'm going to put my foot down. Don't cross this line on this devotion committed stuff. But sheer grace, there's no limit to what God can ask of us. God calls us. God's vision for us is we'd be devoted to the Bible. We'd be devoted to one another. We know what devotion is, right? If you're a devoted Bears fan, you were pulling your hair out last week, right? Last Sunday night. If you're devoted to your work, and hopefully you are, you give yourself to it, you're you're not going to just, you know, show up half-hearted someday. If you're devoted to your children, and you better be, you give yourself to them. You're attentive to them. You don't just wander off and say, well, I trust for the next couple of days they'll be okay. No, you're attentive to them. We know what devotion's like. God, God calls us, God's vision, so we'd be devoted to the Bible as his people. We'd be devoted to one another. We'd be devoted to prayer. And God's purpose and God's vision is that our worship would be awesome and joy-filled, and that his work among us would be like a contagious fire that spreads. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, um, I pray, Lord, that, that you would do the work in our hearts that needs to be done in my own heart, God, and us as a church. I pray that there would be a culture here, God, of this kind of devotion. God, it's not something that, I mean, arm twisting won't work. Saying I better or I have to won't work. God, I pray you do what you must in our lives so that from our hearts, we would say, I get to, I want to. I want to be devoted to these things. I want to be devoted to one another. I want to be devoted to God's cause. I want to be part of spreading this news to others. I want to be engaged in this kind of worship. I want to be, I want to be dynamically a part of the church. So God, I pray that you would do the, the necessary changes in our own hearts. God, corporately, if there's, if there's things that need to shift, God, I pray that they would shift, God, that you would do the work here among us. For Father, we desire for you to be glorified. 
We desire, God, that this picture that we see in Acts chapter 2, that, that we would we'd be able to say, and I, and I feel like in, in ways we can, but we'd be able to say, wow, God is here. He's doing this among us. There's devotion. There's life. There's giving of, of, of oneself for each other. And this is spreading. God, I pray that we would, um, we would embrace your vision for our church, for the church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay seated. Ryan's going to come up.